0: Welcome to Lab Life with the Air Force Research Laboratory. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Kenneth. Hello, folks. Today we are joined by John Henry Williams to discuss Bunker Busters, Discovery Downtime, and just what it takes to be a materials detective. In three, two, one.
1: John Henry, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah. We're excited too. You're not a stranger to some of our, you know, social media activities and live streams. You did a really cool AFRL Inspire talk mid 2021. So maybe some of our listeners even know your voice already.
2: (laughs) I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but
1: it's a cool talk. And and we'll get to some of that later and put a link in the show notes. But what we're going to hone in on first is that you've described your career or part of your career as kind of a materials detective. So, I mean, is that like what we'd see on a uh, CSI shows or are you like a superhero like a Batman type?
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever called me Batman, but I like that. But, but yeah, that's one of the things I really love about materials engineering, which is my technical background is that opportunity to, to be like a detective, to take, a material that you know you you could come in knowing nothing about and we've got all of these great tests and and methods and characterization techniques to ask that material questions and to ask it you know why it behaves like it does how does it behave what happens when we increase its temperature what happens when we put it under stress and really start to understand what that material is and then hopefully you know be able to take advantage of that material right? Either identify what the right material is for a certain application, or maybe even go in and design a material that gives us the properties that we want for a specific application. So the possibilities are really endless there. And I really, I like that it's, it, it really is almost like a mystery where, you, you know, you come in and you, you ask us all these questions, you try to get as much information as you can, uh, and then you go forward and, and get to solve big problems.
0: Yeah, I love the idea of being able to have a material and having that almost exploratory approach, like you mentioned, having this freedom to be like, all right, so what is this and where do you fit? It's kind of like a puzzle piece. You get to hopefully fit into a much larger uh, you know, objective or puzzle itself, uh, It's just very fulfilling, very rewarding.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love it.
0: So taking a step back then, I know we talked about a lot of the cool stuff that you've done in your career there, a little sneak peek, but um, our, I know a lot of our listeners would be interested What originally interested you in becoming a materials engineer? Where did that start?
2: So I think it really um, crystallized for me. There's your bad material science pun. Uh, Back in 10th grade chemistry class with my teacher, Mr. Relton. And he just, he had a a great way of explaining some of these complex topics like these chemical reactions in such a simple and easy to understand way. I, I remember he had this extended analogy that he would use called the, the party analogy. And every time we learned something new, he would bring it into this analogy. So, you know, we have all these chemical species that would come to a party. And as those reactions happen, they would switch partners, or if something happened in solution, they would jump into the pool. Right. And so it, it was just, it was a very simple way to understand what can be a really complex topic. And it really got me excited about a lot of the opportunities there associated with chemistry interesting side note at the end of the year we ended up making a video about the party analogy and i got to play our teacher mr relton we had this idea that we would make me look like a crazy mad scientist and so we were going to put hair gel in my hair to make my hair stand up and we got to the day of we were ready to record and we forgot the hair gel and so Someone had a thing of Vaseline in their backpack. So we decided to use that instead in all of our infinite 10th grade wisdom. And needless to say, my parents were not very happy and it took many, many days to, uh, to wash all of that out. But I think overall it was worth it. That initial experience with chemistry got me excited when I, I ended up going to Georgia Tech for college and I applied to be a chemical engineer During that first semester, they offered up a class where we got to learn about what chemical engineers did. And so they brought in a range of different chemical engineers. And, you know, I love all my chemical engineering buddies out there, but throughout that whole semester, all I ever heard about was oil refineries and diapers. And uh, so at that point, I figured maybe there was something else to look into. And so I actually, I ended up learning about materials engineering, and it was something that I didn't even know was a discipline before going to school. And it was described to me as chemical engineering without the plumbing. And so that, that sounded like something of interest to me. I knew that, you know, I, I could still use my chemistry background and my chemistry passion. And so I switched to be a materials engineer, fell in love immediately. And, and that's what I stuck with. And that's what I've been doing during my time at AFRL as well.
1: Could you describe that phrase, uh, chemical engineering without the plumbing? What, what does that really mean?
2: Sure. So there's a, you know, in, in chemical engineering, there's a lot of process flow and designing reactions. And on the material side, we're really looking at specific material properties like metals and ceramics. So, you know, you think of those as the, the solid materials as opposed to designing reactors and things like that to take advantage of chemistry, you know, to ultimately get whatever your desired output is, refine your material or, or create your diaper, I suppose. But yeah, it's really having that opportunity to look across the the set of materials, polymer materials and metals and and ceramics and composites, and having an opportunity to to be a materials detective, to probe those, ask those questions, understand those properties, and um, and then ultimately design materials.
1: And we know it was a SMART scholarship, which we talked about on the podcast before, and folks can look at afresearchlab.com the SMART Scholarship brought you to our Munitions Directorate located at Eglin Air Force Base within the Air Force Research Laboratory. What was your first uh, experience like working with the Department of Defense?
2: Yeah, so first off, I highly recommend the SMART Scholarship. That was a great experience for me, and I would definitely encourage anybody out there listening to take advantage of that. I was not aware that Eglin Air Force Base existed before I came down uh, to work for DOD. I didn't I had never really thought about the fact that we have these weapon systems and they have various technologies associated with them and so there must be researchers that focus on those things. So I, you know, I ended up going down to the High Explosives Research and Development Facility or the HERD out there to work on explosive materials and I had never thought about people doing research on explosives. And so it was it was really eye-opening to see one the the really interesting technical areas that were being looked into in the department of defense and then two, the amazing facilities that are out there and the the opportunities to really do cutting edge research. And three, I think the biggest thing that stood out to me initially was the reality of the dedication that those people have to serving their country and helping the warfighter. And so they're there for a purpose and everybody shares that purpose. That was really great to see, especially as, you know, a, a, a bright-eyed intern coming in right out of college uh, with big hopes for the world.
1: And and one thing, I mean, we hear again and again from the smart scholarship or, or interns, no matter what platform got you into AFRL, you get to do like meaningful work right away. You get to work with brilliant people. Meanwhile, the smart scholarship, you know, paid for some of your, your schooling and, you know, gave you a livable salary. So it's just like win, win, win. I know there's a lot of amazing facilities at Eglin and you even just have a huge range, you know, being there on, on on the Gulf of, you know, where things could be tested. Would love to hear about your time.
2: Yeah. So uh, there were great opportunities to go out and, and take advantage of some of those facilities, like you mentioned, to, to see tests and things like that. As far as, you know, specific research coming in as an intern, there was, you know, a lot of safety considerations there. Not too much working on specific explosive materials to start. But working on a lot of the aspects that surround those. So a lot of times people think about explosives as just a, a one thing, a monolithic piece. right? But actually a lot of the explosives that we use are composite materials where we've got explosives and metals and all sorts of other additives that are held together by a polymer binder or a plastic binder. And so I got to do a lot of work on designing those polymer systems and doing real, you know, meaningful research that was affecting ongoing programs that were ultimately tied into these explosive systems in a way that I could get engaged, you know, as somebody that didn't have that explosive experience right off the bat. So I learned about things like design of experiments, which just com- completely fascinated me right from the start. Just the ability to, to use statistics to design a test space and to use math to understand how we can find the most information by strategically selecting our data points and then on the back end using all of that information that you've collected to predict a new material right and to eventually end up with a solution that you've never even tested before but you can you can know what those properties are because you've done all the legwork beforehand and so really being able to learn about that new field and contribute to a meaningful project that was ongoing Uh, while not dealing specifically with the explosives piece as an intern was, was awesome. And then as I came on full time, I was able to start to get more involved with the explosive materials. And so ended up again, transferring a lot of those skills that I'd used as an intern in design of experiments to designing new explosive formulations. And so was able to do a lot of work looking at new materials for things like hardened, deeply buried targets, So you may have heard about the Bunker Buster uh, series of bombs, right? So we're looking at underground targets and how do we hold those targets at risk? How do we make sure that our explosive materials can survive that ride to those targets and then function as intended once we get there?
1: And diving a little bit farther on Bunker Busters, uh, AFRL uh, played a huge role in their use during the Gulf War. Now, John Henry, I know you were... A, a tiny, probably toddler at that point, or 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 maybe a kindergartner or something like that. But can you tell us, you know, what our, you know, your predecessor, material engineers and scientists were were working on that really helped uh, bring that uh, conflict to a close?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I was. Uh, uh, it was a little before my time, but it's definitely something that resonates throughout the the culture of the herd down there because it was such an important and impactful event. And, you know, back during that first Gulf War, you know, the intel that we had suggested that Saddam Hussein was hiding in these underground command and control bunkers. And we didn't have a weapon system that could hold those targets at risk. We didn't have the ability to go out and prosecute those targets. And so in an incredible feat uh, across the span of just a couple of weeks, 28 days, we went from design of a system to filling to testing, to ultimately dropping those weapons in theater. And after those weapons were dropped, within a matter of 24 hours, uh, the Iraqis surrendered. So it led directly to the end of that conflict in an efficient and effective way. And those weapons, those those items were filled at the herd down here at Eglin. And so, you know, we literally have pictures of them passing buckets of explosive material up the stairs to be able to fill these items that hanging in our walls. And so that's a, that's a very important part of our legacy and something that really reminds us every day of the impact that we can have uh, with the research that we're doing and how we can affect the mission of, of the Air Force and and now the Space Force as well. Even though we may be a small piece of that overall weapons system, right? we can still make a difference in how the Air Force is able to execute that mission. And that can lead to you know, saving lives, shortening conflict, and ultimately you know, bringing more of our folks home safely.
1: I think it's a really interesting story too, because you use that 28 day span of, you know, this problem getting, I guess, to the scientists and engineers and like, well, how can we design this so it can get to these underground bunkers is basically the problem that you're solving. And then in 28 days, they've received re- resolution to the to the problem they were trying to solve. I mean, that's that's amazing.
2: Yeah, it's incredible. It's really a testament to what we can all do if we you know, work together towards a common goal. That was a time when when we needed to step up for our nation and I think we came through with flying colors.
1: Well and the, the thing too is sometimes, you know, our podcasts tell the story of basic research or these fundamental ideas that we don't know how they'll pay off in 20 years or 50 years, but we're also solving the problems of today, you know, that responsiveness to our warfighters today and in near term and long term, we have to solve everything. You know, I have to think out what's going to be the problem of the future or what do we think might help in the future. And, you know, what can we fix today as well?
2: Absolutely. And that's that's one of the wonderful things about Eglin as well is it's it's a center of excellence for the weapons community. And so we're very tied into the test wing and the program offices and and some of those areas that are a little further along in the development.
0: And I'm curious as well uh, about the story with the Bunker Buster. Was this something that you were familiar with before you joined the herd? Or was this more of when you joined, they gave you this example saying, hey, this is like why we're doing what we're doing and a, a sample of that success.
2: I think I'd probably heard the word Bunker Buster before, but I definitely didn't have the context in terms of how impactful that was, how quickly the development cycle went. And of course, you know, the, the impact that those specific people down there had on that effort.
0: Speaking of impact, uh, we're now catching up to the modern day. Kind of what you're doing now. So the new title that you have is that uh, you're part of the Workforce Development Branch in our Munitions Directorate. So still down in Eglin Air Force Base. So what are the goals of this initiative, and what is it really all about?
2: Yeah, this is something that I'm really excited about. Our our Directorate has said that workforce development is a, a key capability for us, and so we've stood up a branch to do that for the Directorate. And we just started back in May of this year but we're, we're moving out and we're doing a lot of good things. And our mission down there is really very simple. We want to maximize the impact of the munitions directorate workforce. And that means a couple of things to us. We want to maximize the impact to our community. So we look at things like STEM outreach, our internship programs, designing that talent pipeline for how we bring in folks to our directorate. We want to maximize the impact to the workforce, itself so we want to help them understand all of the development opportunities that are available to them career broadening opportunities we want to help them meet their career goals and then ultimately we want to maximize our impact to the organization and the warfighter so we want to make sure that that workforce is aligned to what the sT needs are for our airmen and guardians now and in the future and so we really are focused in on what our organizational priorities are, understanding those, and then helping our workforce get there and and meet those needs.
1: And we certainly have uh, different initiatives across our enterprise and we have to have these local people to execute new ideas and, and share best practices they come up with. And just one little piece that you touched on was STEM efforts and you are in that Florida panhandle region. What are some of the stuff that you're doing to engage with your local communities?
2: Yeah. So we have a lot of great things going out in the STEM area. The biggest thing that we do right now is we host first Lego league opportunities. So that gives kids from K to 12 opportunities for age appropriate activities uh, with Legos. They build Lego robots, they do competitions, they form teams. And and so there's an opportunity there to really get kids excited early on. Right. We want to, we want to open up people's eyes to STEM when they're five, six, seven years old. In addition to, you know, folks like me that didn't really get the, the picture until, you know, 10th grade chemistry class. So we've done a lot of activities there. We we have opportunities for kids to work with drones in a similar way where they can come in, they can program drones, they can they can be in a competition, again, all the way from elementary school through high school. And so we just, we've thrown this wide net out there. We put our our S&Es in the schools to do demonstrations. We put our s and at the science fair to engage with kids and get them excited about what the opportunities are in their local area to, to work for a, a government laboratory and really just try to make that impact one kid at a time. It's a personal thing, right? You have to be able to, to reach out and, and you know inspire those kids. And, and so we cast a wide net to try and inspire as many kids as we can to increase that awareness as much as we can to the great things that STEM is and and the opportunities that you know going into a STEM field offers them,
1: and no doubt for S and E's or scientists and engineers, you know, that kind of probably fills up your cup a little bit to to get to engage with you know the, the next generation that's going to help uh, solve problems and get get excited about science and uh, you know. Maybe uh, do a skit and imitate you guys someday, right? Just like you did with your your (laughs) chemistry professor or or high school teacher.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's awesome to go out there and just see how smart a lot of these kids are, how passionate they are about these various topics. And so, you know, I love doing the science fair every year and getting to to talk with the middle schoolers and talk with the high schoolers. My son is actually. Uh, he just turned five this year. He's starting kindergarten. So I'm excited to to get him spun up and to get him in some of these activities. You know, we've gone around to some of the local areas and some of the things that that we engage in. And, and he's, I think he's excited about STEM. And so I want to foster that as well. So absolutely, it's uh, it's really, it's a fun thing to do. And the workforce responds well to it. They love doing it as well. And so we look to take advantage of that passion and, and hopefully, like I said, reach a lot of kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's cool that you have so many doors that some people may not have known were open to them. I mean, like you touched on something earlier, John Henry. If I, When I was a kid, if I had known I could have done a Lego robotics league, I would have jumped on that. Like, imagining that opportunity. I mean, how cool is that kids can be like, I like building Legos. And you give them the opportunity to say, well, hey, let, let's take that a step further, something you're comfortable with. But, yeah, inviting STEM into the home. Like, that is, it's just so neat.
2: Yeah, I know. I wish uh, all these opportunities were there when I was a kid. I guess we just try to do better for, for the next generation than we have for ourselves, right? So yeah, it's a, it's a great opportunity.
0: Yeah, and that's why we'd love to hear. Um, So we talked about these awesome opportunities and talked about all the lives you get to impact. Are there any specific examples you have then at these events of uh, any uh, particular teams you may know or students that really shown out you're comfortable talking about uh, that really show how cool these STEM opportunities can be?
2: Yeah, so I, I think the best example is actually one of our interns that came in and and kind of shows what we're trying to do with the with the stem activities and and a lot of these outreach opportunities of bringing kids in to ultimately you know work for a government laboratory and i had a student come through several years ago and she was interested in the stem field but not necessarily interested in a government career she didn't really know what being a government researcher was about she was an exceptional student very very bright. She ended up helping us publish several papers. She won the Outstanding Student Award that year for her internship. And so this is the high-quality talent that we want, right? We want to be able to bring people like this into the government. And just the opportunity to to show her what it is we do, to show her the opportunities that she could have there, the, the facilities and the people and the meaningful work that she could be a part of, completely changed that perspective. Ultimately, coming out of that, she ended up pursuing a career in the government. And, and so it's those kind of you know relationships that we can build and impacts that we can make that really stand out. And even better than that, I'll say, is she, she was local. Her parents run a local company, and I just happened to run into them. And they came up to me one day and said, thank you for the impact that you've had in our daughter's life. She had no interest in this and going through this internship changed her perspective and changed her trajectory. And so to me, that was huge. I mean, like, that's exactly why we do what we do, right, is just being able to pour into these kids and, and show them some of the opportunities that are out there and hopefully inspire them to uh, to be a part of our community.
1: Certainly, you never know how something might ripple, uh, something, effort that you do or another team member does to, to inspire the next generation. And another thing that's kind of rippling in our organization, you know, locally, you kind of uh, explore this idea of discovery downtime within, within your, your job and, and your branch. But that's really uh, been something the rest of AFRL has uh, taken a shot at to see if it works for them. What is discovery downtime?
2: When I was back at the herd, we really wanted to, follow in the footsteps of some of these innovative companies like Google and 3M that give their employees intentional time that's set aside to work on really whatever they want to work on outside of their normal job, outside of their normal responsibilities. And they've seen huge benefits from that. Things like Gmail and Google News, all of that has come out of this Google free time that they've given their employees. So we wanted to, to provide that opportunity to our researchers. And it was a little bit tough, right? it was it was challenging to uh, convince people that we could essentially shut down for a week and and let everybody work on whatever they wanted to work on, um, and that we would get meaningful results out of that. and And so we took a risk to do that, but we saw a great impact on the back end, not just in terms of the awesome stuff that came out of it, and we did get new, project ideas. We ended up with some patents. We, you know, we had new methods and things like that, but really I think the bigger piece of it was the morale boost that was associated with that, the excitement that it got people out of their comfort zone, thinking about things in a new way. It allowed them to see that they can go and make these big impacts in a short amount of time. um, If they're able to just separate themselves from some of the administrative burdens that they have throughout their job. And so it was a real reset and a refresh for our workforce um, and so we got a lot of great things out of it and we just, we're shouting it from the rooftops, We right? We want people to take advantage of that as well and, uh, and hopefully see some of the benefits that we've seen.
0: So what advice would you have then for people who may be on the fence about this wanting to implement it, but are unsure how, or maybe even how to connect with their leadership to pitch this idea?
2: Yeah. So if you're thinking about pitching an idea, I would say tailor this to what makes sense for your organization. So we didn't do exactly what Google did. We didn't follow a specific rubric, but we took that concept and we applied it to what we knew about the herd to be able to be successful. And so when you're going, don't take what we did. Don't shut down the branch for a week, do what makes sense for you. Cause you know, your organization. So that may be shorter, that may be longer. It may have different, you know, pieces to it, but take that risk. Definitely. That would be my, my advice to leaders is just do it, take that risk. Provide your people the top cover that they need to be able to separate and to be able to set themselves aside from, you know, meetings and emails for for a short period of time and see what happens. Because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. You know, I've, I've said this several times already, but the people that are working, you know, at AFRL are passionate and they're brilliant and they know That they want to make an impact for the warfighter, and so just giving them that free reign results in a lot of great things. And so it's scary on the front end, but on the back end, you'll see dividends. So I would just say, go for it.
1: You mentioned the passion that our teammates, our scientists and engineers, our professionals, our support staff have. It's we all want to do work worth doing, and it's something our commander kind of sent a note out about yesterday. And that's really what drives people. It isn't. It isn't about uh, money or glory or anything. It's really about doing work worth doing and being dedicated to new ideas and, and making things better and helping our warfighters, our airmen and our guardians and our world, really, with some of these uh, things we work on.
2: That's the number one thing to me. That's the thing that keeps me excited about working at AFRL is just the people, right? And and that may sound cheesy, but it's it's true. They are, I've seen that throughout my entire career here since I was an intern to to right now people are excited about the opportunity to serve their country they're excited about applying the skills that they've learned in school and the things that that are passionate to them that they're passionate about you know from a technical perspective to real world needs of our nation and our warfighters and um, and it's real I mean that that dedication is real and that binds us all and the fact that we are working towards that common goal the fact that we all have that site picture in front of us i think makes us really powerful and it gives us a really great opportunity to affect change now maybe you know maybe it's something soon short term like the bunker buster example maybe it's something in 10 15 20 years but we're all moving towards that goal and, uh, and it's just great to see and it's it's wonderful to be a part of
0: honestly, John Henry, I mean, that was what a great way to round things out. So we thank you for joining us today. You had a really inspiring and very cool journey, doing amazing work uh, inside the actual workforce development branch. And I'm sure we'll catch up more later on, but we're just happy we had a moment to speak with you today.
2: Yeah, great to speak to you and uh, just had a wonderful time. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Make sure to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube at AF Research Lab. And remember, stay curious. Logging off.